Welcome to the Outer Banks of North Carolina. I'm Chef West Step, and I'll be your host for Outer Banks Raw, a brand new podcast coming from the Outer Banks. We're going to be talking about food, fitness, lifestyle, you name it, that Outer Banks state of mind that y'all love so much. You want to plug in? Tune in here. This podcast is brought to you by NC Coast Grill and Bar in Duck, North Carolina. NC Coast Grill and Bar celebrates the flavors of the coastal south while bringing in cross-cultural and global influences to the Outer Banks. Hey, welcome to the second episode of Outer Banks Raw. I'm your host, Chef West Steph. Today, I'm going to be talking about the Outer Banks dining scene and being a chef and a foodie and all that stuff. And basically, I made my living down here, came down here visiting from West Virginia when I was a kid. And then I ended up starting working down here in the restaurant business. I love the restaurant business. I love the hospitality business. I invited two guests to my show today. First of all is Mike Kelly, who is basically a legend down here on the Outer Banks. And um, he owned Kelly's Restaurant, where, where I started my career. Mako Mike's, Pamela Co. Jack's, and Kelly's Catering, where I did my first catering ever. And uh, Celeste Osorio, owner of Edible Photography and Marketing on the Outer Banks, which happens to be my marketing agent. Hello, Celeste. Hey. And who has been working with the majority of restaurants on the Outer Banks for, shoot, every bit of 18 years. She totally qualifies as an Outer Banks foodie. So how are you guys doing today? We're good. Excellent. Beautiful day on the Outer Banks. I mean, it's wonderful. It is a gorgeous day down here. So uh, I'm glad to have you guys here. Um, I'm stoked having both of you in the same room. I heard some stories. Oh, really? And I want to know. <laughs> How you Mike, doing? have you ever had stories told about you? All the officials are retired now. They don't have any stories. <laughs> Statute of limitations have have gone away since, uh, right, right. since the beginning of time. Yeah, no, I, I do have a lot of questions actually today. I, I think I'm gonna be the one asking them all. Today. Well, shoot, go ahead, ask well, us. Some well, first of all, like I really I want to know exactly how you guys started in the auto banks. I I know that you were working for him, but like I mean, how long ago was this? Well, shoot, that was back in 19, I'd say like 87 or 88. I'll never forget it. I was in college. I was at Marshall University, and I came down here during a spring break, and I had an Outer Banks interview. Mike had heard of me from uh, a guy that was a general manager at Kelly's Restaurant, and Mike took me on his green truck. Remember that green truck, Mike? Yes, sir. Yeah, took me on that daggone green truck, and we drove out on the beach in Kildover Hills. I think we had a beer. Anyway, I gave him my pitch and told him, you know, how good of a cook I was. And I was the best thing since sliced white bread and all this other good stuff. And he just looked at me kind of like didn't pay much attention. And finally, he looked at me, he goes, I'm going to hire you. And I said, I wonder what I said to make him hire me. He said, because you look like a cook. And that was it. So that was sort of my Outer Banks interview. I don't know if you remember that, Mike, but to me, it was a turning point. The reason he looked like a cook, it, and for now he's, he's doing his tastefully fit, etc., he was known as the Pillsbury Doughboy. He had a little, he had a little, he he had a little tummy on him and everything. And he was probably about a thirty-eight or a forty waist, and I'm sure he's about thirty to thirty-two right now. Was he wearing the overalls back there? Because he just he has been showing around. I didn't have overalls on. I was at the beach, so I had, if they were, they were the overall shorts. You remember oh, that? Even better. <laughs> he had West Virginia influence in, in his uh, his dress, everything like that. Oh, so he had he had a little bit of that. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, the experience I walked into during that period of time was very formative in the way that I am today. 
I mean, mostly all the good points of today and, and how I run my business. Mike has definitely been my mentor for as long. And, you know, during the time when we when I was growing up under the tutelage of Mike Kelly and Kelly's restaurant, it was a it was a high impact zone, wasn't it, Mike? I mean, we did a, we were doing some jamming business and you were starting the catering business at that time. Or, go ahead and tell us about it. We had started, I'd, bought my, I'd been in the restaurant business, uh, started in 1970 when I was in college, and then I graduated in 72, so that's 52 years of starting and 50 years of being in 24-7. Wes came in during that period, he's exactly right, we had, had, uh, had worked for two other people in the Outer Banks and two extremely successful and popular restaurants, and when I was... Uh, 35, it was decided it was either time to go into a new career or begin to make sure you owned one yourself. Without getting into all those details of financing a mortgage and everything like that, we did go in for ourselves. And we uh, were right at, uh, this is back when there was 14% was the interest rate on your note. And that's exactly, and like right now, we're freaking out because we're going from uh, three to three and a half, just a phenomenal economic difference. And this brings your perception about in a different way. Imagine 14% is your base percentage of, of, for your mortgage. And it, sometimes it even went to 18 and 20. So it's, it's, it's a big learning curve and you have a lot of responsibility, a great deal of responsibility. The Outer Banks has always been Especially, we've been very fortunate. We have a great deal of independent operations. We don't have very many. The uh, chain operations we have are sort of like a McDonald's, more of the fast food type of things. But after you get away from them, most of the uh, other operations are all independent. And so the people took that responsibility to responsibility themselves and they had it and everybody were used to being around each other. And it was like a, a large family type of a, uh, an atmosphere when you begin because everybody knew everyone else, etc. I'm going to tell you one thing. For, for me, my perception was when I came aboard, I had not ever been officially trained as being a chef. Okay. So basically I was, uh, had worked in the summers down here on the Outer Banks and cooked. And then when I was in college, I cooked as well. You know, I'd make extra money and cook in different places in Morgantown, West Virginia and in Huntington, West Virginia. And then I'd come down in the summers. And when I came to work for Mike, it was like, I was introduced to a serious restaurateur with a driven personality. And it was I always called Kelly's as like the Marine Corps of kitchens. It was like everybody else was Coast Guard. We were the Marine Corps because Kelly was always when I'd come into work on the line, you know, you'd see a handwritten note saying, oh, by the way, we need 15 of this going out the back door at four o'clock and this and that and the other. And at the time, I thought it was so challenging. Of course, I was going through youth and all the different crazy stuff that I went through at the same time. But later on, that was my game plan, my recipe for how I run restaurants. It's like my guys now at NC Coast and Red Sky are going to see notes going, okay, we've got a 20 top going out. The other thing that Mike showed me was how to take care of the public, how we are a service industry. I remember when we'd have big storms come through and the power company was down here trying to get the lines back up and everything. They all knew to rally at Kelly's Outer Banks Restaurant and Tavern because we fed the power company. Remember stuff like that, Mike? You know, oh, yeah. we fed the police. We we fed the this, we fed that. And in the wintertime, when everyone else is like resting on their laurels and taking a break, 
Mike started the $2 a dozen oyster special. So every Friday night, it was $2 a dozen free chili. And we had everybody in town going to Kelly's. And, you know, that's one thing I think the Outer Banks is really missing right now is you had an excellent nightlife as well there at Kelly's Outer Banks Restaurant and Tavern. You know, it was a great scene for visitors and locals alike to get together and have some cocktails, have some fun. And- oh, yeah, we we definitely we were regulars for a while. So I know for sure. I mean, you are semi-retired. <laughs> Mr. Kelly, right? I mean, you have soul. I'm more semi than I am retired. <laughs> yeah. But well, well, I know. Like, and I haven't seen you for a while. Actually, I haven't seen you probably since the pandemic. We all kind of like went our own ways. I actually started working with Wes uh, on his social media then because he never really closed during the pandemic. He actually just went <laughs> hands on and we did a lot of work back then. But Tell me a little bit about how did you decide to sell and what are you doing now? Well, the liquidation, uh, I will tell you that sold the first one back in 2017 and had three restaurants at that time and have sold the last one in uh, December of 2021. So in a span of four years, we sold three restaurants. This is the business property, et cetera, the whole thing. It's considerably different. In the fact that it was, it was extremely difficult to sell a property back in the early 2000s, the turn of the century, and and then and up until about 2015, they became a lot easier to. Uh, this the whole economy shifted great deal with the pandemic and everything that went along associated with it was really amazed me as to how much easier it was to sell a three or four million dollar property than it had been before. It's not an exaggeration, it's just the reality of it. As a matter of fact, it probably caught myself and numerous other people by surprise that it would be that easy to do when before it wasn't it wasn't easy at all. It took me to sell Kelly's I went in on the week after uh, Thanksgiving and went to six different real estate agents that were high volume type of people and talked to them. It took five years to the exact day of date of December 1 to sell Kelly. The next two operations were sold that I had were sold within six to eight months. And so it's just amazing that well, the first one took uh, over five years and the other one other ones took six to eight months. But you did keep the catering part of your business. Well, we, we had a warehouse and we converted a warehouse over to a kitchen. And it's, uh, most people say, oh, it's a warehouse. Where do you cook your food? I said, well, come on in the warehouse. And they come in there and they get blinded by the stainless steel or so much of it. And uh, very surprised and, and said, well, this looks just like a kitchen. Yeah, it's sort of just like a kitchen. That's what it's sort of like the idea. So we've done real well with that. And then the mobile portion, starting probably, hopefully we were uh, in the next week or two, in the next seven to 14 days, we'll be starting a uh, delivery and a pickup program that will begin marketing. We're getting a new uh, website and beginning to do. And so we'll have a good raw website and you'll see catering, but you can come by and get food. The pandemic changed a lot of things for a lot of people. How did it change things for you in general, for the restaurant? I mean, I know that, I mean, obviously, you know, we, for a while, we weren't able to serve inside, etc. But now that we have recovered, 
What has changed in the dining scene? There's a lot that's changed, and it's a, it's a national change. You know what I mean? So if you're from New Jersey, or you're from Washington D.C., or if you're from Philadelphia, and you're listening to this podcast, you're going through a lot of the same growing pains that are the the changing pains that we are down here on the Outer Banks. Now on the Outer Banks piled with the housing crisis and with a lot of people putting their homes in Airbnbs rather than doing year-round rentals and things like that. We have a labor crunch, and I think that's one of the longest-lasting things. And like I said, it's a national phenomenon. It's just accentuated down here on the Outer Banks because we're very seasonal, and the hospitality business in a whole kind of like, I mean, the pandemic was a direct assault on the hospitality business. You know what I mean? It's like restaurants were shut down nationwide. People had to change their recipe. That's one thing that I really learned from Mike Kelly and from my years growing up in Kelly's restaurant was, hey, we were constantly changing our recipe. So if you're a visitor coming down here, the other thing that about it is, is now that COVID's kind of gone, Okay, to a certain degree, I mean, you don't you don't hear about it on CNN and, and Fox every single day anymore. It's still got the effects of it, but people are like, okay, that's that's last year. Let's just, let's move forward. Everything should be back to normal. And it's not. I was going to say, I mean, it's not normal because something that happened here in the other banks, it's like suddenly we have more people, less people to work. And it's just, sometimes it just feels a little chaotic inside restaurants. <laughs> like I go like, oh my God, I actually spent last summer busing tables for my friends at moments because... There were entire lines and they couldn't keep up because, I don't know, something changed there. Something's definitely changed. Probably the most unique thing that happened to me in 52 years of being on the Outer Banks, on the 51st, it took the 51st year before we ever closed a day a week. We were open 364 days a year for 51 years. Then all of a sudden, uh, got into the first or second week in June of last year and began to see that we were not having people coming in our front door responding to labor requests and responding to job opportunities. And all of a sudden, just sitting there watching that and looking at the front door and looking at what we had, I said, we don't have enough people to take care of this. There were many restaurants that were already closed two or three days a week. And that had happened in 2020, COVID first came in, everybody, business dropped about 20 to 25% across the board. And that was almost everybody. If you didn't drop 20%, you were indeed very fortunate. You thought, well, we're going to lose business. And I'll tell you, here I am after 51 years of doing this, and I was closed one day a week. And I thought it was very beneficial. I really enjoy being closed one a day a week. I enclosed having a day that I actually had to myself and my family. And that if I knew that if I was enjoying that day, my, my coworkers, my staff, it were enjoying it the same way. It did a long, it went a long way toward helping on morale. All right. So a lot of the restaurants now are closing more hours. So there is less hours to eat, but we have more people every year. So as a visitor, I may be at home listening to the podcast and it's like, oh my God, I don't want to go eat. What do I do to make my experience better? What are your suggestions on that? There's a lot of options, okay? One of them is, is don't wait till the last minute, okay? So you're coming down to the Outer Banks, you know you're staying in Duck, you know you're staying in Nags Head or wherever. For me, 
call way ahead of time before you leave. See if you can get a reservation. If they're not taking reservations, ask to talk to a manager. You know what I mean? You got time, you're not under the gun, and see if you can, I got a party of eight people, it's my grandpa's birthday, whatever, and possibly you can make a deal and get in there and get a reservation. The other things that I know Mike offers, as he mentioned it earlier, was like the um, dinner delivery type thing, you know, where people actually, he brings the food to you, you create a menu with one of his staff, and then, you know, he's got a great team that cooks the meals and all that stuff and takes them right to your house. So gets it all set up. We offer at Red Sky, which I started in 2002, what I found up here in Duck was I wanted to oper- do an operation where people came in and bought like pans of lasagna or shrimp salad and took it home. And I found out, you know what? These guys actually just want a chef to come to their house. So we started Chefs on Call. So that's another o- opportunity come drop it to your house, bring it up, set it up for your whole family to set in these beautiful houses and you don't even have to leave. Then if you wanna go out to dinner, you say, well, I still wanna go out to dinner. Maybe you don't go as a whole family group because that's your family meal. You know, having the Red Sky chef come in or having Mike drop off the food, that's where we all get together. It's a lot easier for two people to get a seat than it is for 22 people to get a seat. So pretty much make your reservations. Try to make your reservations. reservations. Try to have a small parties. In-house dining. And then if you have big parties, get your food cooked at home. It's actually yeah. a lot of fun. I have been in the caterings too. I'm Everybody's gonna, always in a good mood. I'm going to tell you what. For me, you know, my experience is with the Chefs on Calls and you got people that work here and do the Chefs on Calls. We do Chefs on Calls. We've done them for... Wonder Woman, you know what I mean? We did her birthday. We do sometimes, you never know what you're walking into a vacation home on the Outer Banks. You know what I mean? It could be Ed O'Neill. It could be this. It could be that. Or it could be just a, a family from, from Pennsylvania. And, you know, the next thing you know, they're all in there and they got a chef coming in. Everybody's relaxed. If you got little kids, you know, little kids, you always got to worry about them throwing a chicken finger across the dining room and you just put them in front of their computers. We feed them chicken fingers, mac and cheese, and then the adults get to eat. And generally, like Mike's menus or my menus, we can tailor to your family's group. So it's like, you know, grandpa might want medium well steak and fried shrimp. We can put that out there as well as seared rare tuna with a avocado mango relish and maybe shrimp and grits with a redneck risotto so we can tailor it from foodies to pretty much plain jane diners so everyone kind of gets what they want you know what i mean and you actually get to enjoy your family like that something i do know me as a local i do we do it john and i we do it all the time when we want to go out during the summer we know that if we go out past 5.30, 6, it may be a little bit difficult to get a table right away, especially if we don't have a reservation. So what we do is we definitely hit lunch. I mean, a lot of people are at the beach during lunch. So if you want to enjoy a certain restaurant that serves lunch and dinner, go for lunch because it's going to be just more pleasant and you can go to the beach. You have all morning and all afternoon to go to the beach, but also go early. I mean, there's a lot of Places where open, they open at four, they're open actually all day long. So if you go three o'clock, four o'clock, even five o'clock, you still have the opportunity to sit down almost right away without a reservation. It's like we used to have a lot of later diners back in the day, okay? And the whole shape shift, I mean, a lot of people are catching on to that formula that you're talking about because 
we're filled up by 4.35 o'clock. Now, sometimes if you come in at 8, 8.15 and say, okay, I want to do a little later dining experience, you might have a better opportunity of, of finding a seat. It's kind of shape-shifted to a certain degree. People are going out earlier and hitting it. You got to remember one thing is you're on vacation. Limit your expectations. Enjoy the ride. It's not always turbulent free. If you're having a rough dining experience, inventory yourself. Say, hey, what part of this am I adding to this? And what part of this is actually their problem? Nobody in, in the business, as long as I was at Kelly's and as long as I've been in the restaurant or hospitality business, sets out to make you have a bad day. Nobody comes in there. They come in with a lot of baggage, but they don't come in going, well, I really want to screw up this table at around eight o'clock tonight. You know, I really <laughs> want to make those some bitches like hate life and that dog don't hunt. Well, I want to thank you guys so much for coming for my second podcast. Yes. Mike, it's great catching up with you. You are definitely an Outer Banks legend and you are one of the most formative individuals in my life. And I really appreciate everything you've given to me and all of the opportunities we've had. It's just chance that put us together, but it's really definitely forged a um, lifelong impact to me. Celeste, thank you so much for setting in and peppering us with questions. I mean, Celeste is a little, little hot tamale Latino and she can definitely pepper us with questions. So it's good putting us two old guys on, on call. No, th thank you. That's, that's what I'm here for actually, yeah. <laughs> just to ask questions. No, but thank you. Thank you. This was very interesting actually. I mean, it's history of the Outer Banks. Uh, I think that a lot of people, a lot of people that come here, I know that because I work with Google Analytics. We can see who is coming from which areas. And we know that there's a lot of new people in the auto banks. And I think that they would be interested on, you know, knowing that there is a lot of history here. And even though things have changed because they have changed, you can still get the all other banks. We actually have a combination of both of them, which is, which is, is great. I love oh, this and I, I wanted to throw it in now. We're starting a new little part of the podcast. It's called The Wild Card. And, and since you got the legend of the Outer Banks, we yes. want to go ahead and hit okay, him with so this question. This is, yeah, this, this is not my question because I know the answer very well. But <laughs> so The Wild Card comes because our next podcast is going to be about the most frequent questions asked by tourists. But yeah. I think that the ultimate question is, are the crab legs fresh and local? <laughs> <laughs> are the snow crab legs local? Okay, Mike. Yeah. They, You've heard this question before. They're local in the fact that you're eating them in front of you. Yeah. Are they, that, that is about as local as it's going to get. Do they come from the Outer Banks? No. We're very fortunate to have had a, a good chain supply network to have them, but, uh, and they're very popular. But uh, no, they're not local. How about they the salmon? Is the salmon local? The salmon is not, lo not local, but I would, I will tell you, for years, I would not serve salmon because it was not local. Right. But all of a sudden, people don't begin to realize that the airline industry has an awful lot to do with fresh seafood. There's a lot of stuff that is shipped. And all of a sudden, I was realizing that the salmon was coming from 
off of New England or off of uh, Seattle, but the tuna, which you knew was coming from around the corner, well, hell, it's been blowing 25 miles an hour for the last week. You didn't get any fresh tuna from here. <laughs> that tuna came from the west coast of uh, Peru. Yeah. And that's, that's that's the truth. But it got flown up here, and it was only about four days old by the time we got it. And uh, so there's a whole lot a whole lot more going on than people may suspect. Well, that's your wild card. Awesome. Hey, so our next episode is going to be pretty daggone entertaining. What we're going to do is have some of the most frequently asked questions by visitors. And, you know, Mike Kelly was the one that showed me not to call people tourists because it's sort of a derogatory term. We call them visitors, okay? So visitors to the Outer Banks. Some are going to be pretty serious questions. If you have a question and you're listening to this podcast, hit me up at OuterBanksRaw at gmail.com. Hit me with a question. Hit me with some ideas about content. So the next one's going to be the most frequently asked questions on the Outer Banks from visitors. Don't forget to subscribe to my podcast. Don't miss a thing. Meet us here. Look, I always like to say, don't quit your daydreams, all right? Outer Banks Raw, Chef West Step. Outer Banks State of Mind is just one click away. Listen to us when you're at work. Think about, hey, you know what? One of these days I want to go down there and this is where I want to make my home. Coming from the Outer Banks, Recipes for living, that's what we do. Recipes for living in Outer Banks State of Mind. Catch you next time. Chef West Up. <laughs> <laughs>